Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. We believe Jamie was in the home at the time of the homicides, and we believe she is still in danger. A brutal murder in the middle of the night and a 13-year-old girl missing. The case of Jamie Kloss captures the nation's attention. The sense of urgency is growing by the minute here in Barron County, Wisconsin. A community on edge. We're all scared. Who, who did this? Who would right. do something like this? A family desperate to find her. My life was ripped apart and shattered into pieces. A mystery in a small town. I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I just don't know what happened in this case. But hope never lost. Thank God, after those 88 days... We at least got answers. I'm Lou Raguse. This is 88 Days, the Jamie Kloss Story. Chapter 6, Patterson. For the first time, we're seeing and hearing from the man now charged with kidnapping 13-year-old Jamie Kloss and killing her parents. Jake Patterson appeared by video conference for his first court appearance today, where a judge set bail at $5 million. Carol Evans, Lou Raguse, is live in Barron with a timeline. And Lou, you were inside that courtroom today. Describe the mood. Well, after the last several days of pure joy, today took on a much more somber tone as those horrific details were released and Jamie's family came to court to face the man accused of murder and kidnapping. I am calling 19 CF 20 at Estate versus uh, Jake T. Peterson. Or, excuse me, Patterson. Mr. Patterson appears by video conference from the Barron County Jail. Patterson's image is projected onto a screen in front of the courtroom. He's sitting next to an attorney in the jail. Patterson is wearing orange jail clothes with long sleeves. His face looks pale. He's wearing glasses. His receding light brown hair is buzzed pretty short. Mr. Patterson, is your name, address, and date of birth correct on the complaint? Yes, sir. Mr. Patterson, you are charged in count one with honor about October 15, 2018 in Barron County did cause the death of James M. Kloss. Upon conviction, shall be imprisoned uh, for life. Count two charges honor about on the same date. You did cause the death of Denise J. Kloss with intent to kill that person. As the judge reads that charge, Patterson yawns. The courtroom is filled on one side with reporters, and in the front row, Patterson's father and brother. His father is a tall, thin man with graying hair and a dark mustache. Both are crying loudly at times during the hearing. On the other side of the courtroom sits Jamie's family. Their eyes are red, but they stay strong through the hearing which is extraordinary when you consider they just learned the details of the crimes. Moments earlier, on the other side of the courthouse, Carol Evans, Kent Erdahl, and I waited at the front of the line for the filing of the criminal complaint. A criminal complaint is the first court document filed in a criminal case. It lists the charges the state intends to prove. In Wisconsin, the criminal complaint also includes a probable cause statement, which is a description of the evidence spelling out how the defendant allegedly committed the crimes. Probable cause is the legal standard needed for the charges to stick. It's a much lower threshold than proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which prosecutors need to convict someone. 
In my experience, some states include affidavits or probable cause statements that are short, including the bare minimum amount of details needed for the judge to approve the charges. But in Wisconsin, I find them to be very detailed, often including large portions pasted directly from police reports. In Barron County District Attorney Brian Wright and Barron County Sheriff Detective Jeff Nelson went into great detail of the murder of Jim and Denise and the kidnapping of Jamie Kloss in putting together an 11-page probable cause statement for Jake Patterson's criminal complaint. Detective Nelson interviewed Jake Patterson the night he was caught and collected reports from eight other investigators, including those who interviewed Jamie Kloss the day after she was found. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Ken Durdall, and this is reporter Lou Raguse. We're here at the Barron County Justice Center, where the criminal complaint was just released. Now I'll go through the details of what the district attorney says happened the night of the crimes, when Jamie was kidnapped and her parents, Jim and Denise, were murdered, from both Jamie's perspective and from Patterson's confession. The details are very graphic and disturbing, and we caution you to use discretion before listening further. First, Jamie's statement with an FBI forensic interviewer. Jamie says on October 15th she was asleep in her bedroom when her dog Molly started barking early in the morning. She got up to see why and noticed someone driving up their driveway. She went to her parents' room to wake them up. Her father Jim went to the door to see what was going on. There was a man at the door with a gun, so she and her mother Denise hid in the bathroom with the door closed, in the bathtub. From there, Jamie heard a gunshot and knew her father had just been killed. Denise had her cell phone and called 911. Jamie says the gunman broke down the bathroom door and told Denise to hang up the phone. He then told Denise to put tape over Jamie's mouth. She did. And then Jamie says he shot her mother. Jamie says he shot each of her parents once. Jamie says that was the first time she had ever seen Jake Patterson. She says he was dressed in black from head to toe, including a face mask, hat, and gloves. She says Patterson taped her ankles together in her hands behind her back with black tape and dragged her out to his car, an older four-door red car, and he put her in the trunk. A short time after Patterson started driving them away, Jamie says she heard the sirens of two police cars drive by. After arriving at his house and taking her out of the trunk, Jamie says Patterson put her clothes in a bag and said he was going to throw them away so there was no evidence. The criminal complaint does not include many details about what happened during Jamie's 88 days of captivity. But in Jamie's interview, she says sometimes Patterson would have relatives or friends over, and Patterson made it clear that nobody was to know she was there or bad things would happen to her. She says Patterson made her hide under his bed and would turn up the music in his bedroom loud enough that she couldn't hear what was happening. The bed was pushed into one corner and he would cover the open side with totes and laundry bins with barbell weights stacked so she couldn't move them without him being able to tell. Jamie tells the forensic interviewer that one time she accidentally moved one of the totes when she was told to hide under the bed, and Patterson told her something bad would happen to her if she did it again. Jamie says Patterson would also make her stay under the bed when he left the house, which he would do for up to 12 hours at a time, with no food, water, or bathroom breaks. One time when she upset him, Jamie says Patterson hit her and said the punishment would be worse next time. Finally, 
On January 10th, Jamie tells the forensic interviewer Patterson told her he would be gone for five or six hours. But after he left the house, she pushed the bins and weights away from the bed and crawled out. She put on a pair of Patterson's shoes, walked out of the house, and found a woman walking her dog, Jeannie Nutter. is asking the court to set cash bail in the amount of $5 million. Mr. Patterson has no ties to Barron County. District Attorney Brian Wright quoted Patterson's alleged confession directly in making an argument for a high bail amount. The criminal complaint says Patterson confessed after Detective Nelson read him his rights. Now here's what the complaint says Patterson told them. Patterson worked a temp job for two days at Saputo Cheese Factory, which is an hour and 15 minutes south of his home in Gordon. He was driving through Barron on his way there and stopped behind a school bus on Highway 8. And that's where he saw Jamie Kloss get onto the bus. Patterson says he had no idea who she was. He didn't know how many people lived in her house. But he says when he saw Jamie, he knew that was the girl he was going to take. On his second and last day of work at Saputo Cheese, Patterson says he bought a black face mask from Walmart to hide his identity when he executed his plan. Patterson says he stopped halfway between Barron and Gordon and stole license plates off a vehicle parked in someone's yard to put onto his own car when he carried out the crimes to help disguise his identity. He disconnected the dome light so he could enter and exit his vehicle in darkness. And he also removed the trunk light and the -the glow-in-the-dark emergency release in the trunk, what Patterson refers to as the kidnapping cord, so no one could open the trunk once inside. Before leaving his house, Patterson says he took his father's 12-gauge Mossberg pump shotgun with six slugs. Now, if you're not familiar with guns, a slug is much bigger than a bullet that a rifle would fire. And even though it's not as accurate from far away, a slug does a lot more damage. Patterson tells investigators he knew that. And also that he researched and learned that the Mossberg brand shotgun was one of the most heavily manufactured and could be harder to trace. In order to make sure he would leave no fingerprints or DNA, Patterson says he put on gloves and wiped down the shotgun in six shells before loading it. He shaved his face and all the hair off his head and showered before leaving his house so he wouldn't leave any DNA or hair at the crime scene. Patterson says he drove to the Kloss home twice before October 15th in hopes of taking the girl he saw getting on the bus. The first came a week and a half earlier, but when he got there, he says there were all kinds of cars in the driveway and it scared him off. A day or two later, Patterson says he tried again, but he had second thoughts when he saw the lights were on and people were walking around the house. On October 15th, Patterson says he coasted into the end of the Kloss driveway with his headlights off and parked. He quietly got out of the car, wearing a black face mask and jacket, blue jeans, brown steel-toe work boots, and two pairs of gloves. As he walked up the sidewalk to the front door of the Kloss home, Patterson says he noticed Jim Kloss standing in the large picture window to the left of the front door, shining a flashlight outside. Patterson says he hollered for Jim to get on the ground, but Jim kept shining the flashlight and looking outside. Patterson says he opened the glass storm door and pounded on the wooden front door. Jim looked through the small glass window on the door and said, show me your badge, apparently thinking Patterson was the police. Patterson then says he raised his shotgun and shot Jim in the head through the window on the door and he heard him collapse to the ground. 
After trying to break down the door, Patterson says he fired a second shot, this time at the doorknob, and he was able to get inside. He says he saw Jim was dead and stepped over his body. After quickly scanning the house, Patterson approached the only closed door, the bathroom. It was locked and barricaded. Patterson says he hit the door with his shoulder 10 to 15 times before it burst open. Patterson says he ripped off the shower curtain and in the bathtub found Denise Kloss with her arms wrapped around Jamie in a bear hug. Patterson pulled out black duct tape and told Denise to put it over Jamie's mouth. Patterson tells investigators Denise was struggling to do it, so he set the shotgun on the bathroom sink, took the tape from Denise, and wrapped it around Jamie's mouth and completely around her head. Then stood Jamie up and taped her wrists and ankles and pulled her out of the bathtub. With Jamie standing, bound, next to him in the bathroom, Patterson says he picked up the shotgun, aimed for Denise's head, and pulled the trigger as he started to turn away. From there, Patterson says he dragged Jamie out of the house, nearly slipping on Jim's blood that had pooled on the floor. He dragged her across the yard to his car, popped the trunk open, and put her inside. Patterson removed his mask and started driving away on Highway 8 in the direction of Barron. He tells investigators that within 20 seconds, he pulled over to yield to three passing police cars heading toward the house with emergency lights and sirens on. The investigators ask Patterson what he would have done if he was stopped by those officers. And Patterson tells them he still had that loaded shotgun with him in the front seat of the car, and he most likely would have shot at the police. Patterson confirms the investigator's theory that he was in and out of the home in only about four minutes. When he arrives at his house near Gordon, Patterson says he took Jamie out of the trunk and into the home and told her to change into his sister's pajamas and threw her clothing, the duct tape, and his gloves into a wood fireplace in the basement. Patterson says Jamie was extremely scared and crying. Patterson describes keeping Jamie under his bed in much the same way she did. In order to make sure she stayed there, he told her bad things would happen to her if she tried to get out. Patterson says Jamie was scared enough that she knew she was not to leave the bedroom without him, and because of his angry outbursts, she did as she was told. Patterson tells investigators his father would typically come to the house on Saturdays, so he would put Jamie under the bed on those days, turning the radio up to mask any noise she would make. And at Christmas time, Patterson says he drove to his grandparents' house 45 minutes away in Superior, Wisconsin, and was gone for 12 hours. He says he told Jamie she had to hold it if she needed to go to the bathroom, and she was not allowed to get out until he returned. On January 10th, which is the same day investigators are conducting this interview with Patterson. He says he told Jamie he was leaving the house for a few hours, and when he got home, he discovered she wasn't under the bed. He saw her footprints in the snow outside and got into his car to drive around looking for her. After a few minutes, he returned to his house and was met by police, and Patterson says that was when he knew he was caught. The sergeant who arrested him says after he told Patterson to put his hands in the air and step out of the car, Patterson said, I know what this is about, and I did it. In his interview, Patterson tells investigators where they could find the clothing he wore the night of the crime, as well as the murder weapon and the remaining ammunition. 
He says he initially kept the loaded shotgun outside his bedroom door in case the police came. But after two weeks, he says he basically assumed he had gotten away with it. After searching his home, investigators find 89 pieces of evidence, including the gun and ammo, clothing, stolen license plate, and that glow-in-the-dark trunk release lever, the kidnapping cord, as Patterson calls it. Patterson tells investigators he had never met Jamie through social media sites, and he only learned her name after he brought her back to the house. He learned Jim and Denise's names on the news. Patterson tells investigators he never would have been caught if he would have planned everything perfectly. The criminal complaint also reveals more than we previously knew about what the Barron County Sheriff's Department found on the night of the crime. One of the deputies wrote in his report that while he was on his way to the house, he met what he thought was an older Ford Taurus, possibly maroon, pulled over to the side of the road for them to pass. When Douglas County deputies arrived at the Kosinskis home to get Jamie and look for the suspect, Jamie told them Patterson drives a red Ford. And a red Ford Taurus is what the sergeant found Patterson driving when he arrested him. Remember at one point, the sheriff asked the public to be on the lookout for two vehicle models, neither of which was a red Ford Taurus. And after the court hearing, I asked the district attorney about this. Sir, the criminal complaint makes it sound like a deputy actually witnessed Patterson's vehicle exiting the crime scene or on the road coming away from the crime scene. Why were we not told about that vehicle and was that lead thoroughly investigated? Uh, again, uh, I think you were uh, had prior interviews with Sheriff Fitzgerald uh, and I believe he felt that was information that should not be disclosed at the time. Uh, we're now in the process uh, of proceeding with Uh, the prosecution, so it was the appropriate time to release that information. For a lot of people, it doesn't make sense that the sheriff shared two other vehicles, asked for help finding them, but apparently kept this Ford Taurus sighting secret. What I can tell you, after covering many crimes in my career, is I know police always hold back some information so that they have things that only they and the suspect would know. That way, investigations don't spiral out of control with all the available information in the public realm. Holding certain info back makes it easier to distinguish legitimate leads from false ones. But at this point, we just don't know how thoroughly they were looking for Red Ford Tauruses behind the scenes during the 88 days of the investigation. Afterward, I asked his father and brother if anything ever seemed odd at the cabin. And Patterson's dad shook his head no. And after the hearing, the DA said that Patterson could face more charges for any crimes that happened at the cabin during those 88 days. Those charges would be filed in Douglas County before Patterson's next court hearing, which is scheduled for February 6th. Back to you. A couple things strike me about this. One is if she heard those sirens, she was probably minutes away from the cops being there in time before her abduction. Is that your understanding? Yeah, in fact, the suspect said that it was only 20 seconds down the road when he met those cops. Carol Evans, Kent Erdahl, and I were the first ones to get this criminal complaint. We read it together, basically in horror, prior to Jake Patterson's court hearing. Kent's with me here now. Kent, what stood out to you the most about what we not just read, but that whole experience, which at that point was the culmination of our 88 days of coverage? Yeah, you know, Lou, I think it was one of the most unique experiences I've had in a courthouse. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. We walked up that morning, and there's that anticipation, so many people waiting to see what those documents had in them. And, and at the same time, you're kind of just dreading what you're about to read. Uh, we sat down inside the courthouse there and just 
kind of started going through, I, we were in such a hurry to try to get through everything that I, if I remember correctly, I would read a page and I would take it off and I'd hand you that page. And that's how we went through that document. Yeah. And when you, when you mentioned kind of uh, the anticipation, I, I think I underestimated the dread. I, I, I think that I, you know, you always have that anticipation, like, well, finally we're going to learn, we're going to find out what happened, like as if it's a positive thing to find out what happened. And I underestimated really the impact of once you start to digest what actually happened. Yeah, I remember getting to that page where we find out what happened that night inside the house and and essentially warning you because it just hit me like a gut punch when you find out in detail, in his words, uh, what played out inside that house. That's part of what made it, that's part of what made those details really bore into you is that you're basically getting Patterson's confession. So you're right, you're getting his words. And that was stunning to me. I, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, were you expecting anything like that? There was a rumor prior that he had given a confession. Um, I guess we didn't know how detailed this complaint was going to be. I, I knew going into it that Wisconsin tends to be more detailed in their criminal complaints than in Minnesota, at least, and, and more so than other states too. Yeah, uh, you've read more criminal complaints than I, but that was the most detailed complaint, at least through you know, the crimes, certainly up to and through that initial abduction uh, than I had read before and really that I, than I was prepared for. Uh, I think the thing that stuck out to me and sticks out to me still to this day is, is kind of what happened uh, with Jamie and her mother when he confronted them in the bathroom. Absolutely. Patterson's own words was that he walked up with Denise holding Jamie in a bear hug. And just that phrase like you said, it was a gut punch. In fact, uh, when we got back, Jana Shortle and I talked about that specifically on a segment that we taped. What in that complaint stuck out to you? The first thing that just stopped me in my tracks was the scene of Denise Kloss holding her daughter Jamie in a bear hug in the bathtub, hiding, barricading the door as best they can, pulling the, shirt, the shower curtain shut, and just holding on to her daughter for dear life. And then, uh, God, I mean... Get a little emotional about it, so. Because you're a dad. Yeah, and you know what? You don't have to be a parent to to have empathy. You don't have to be a parent to to really have this bother you. But at the same time, when you are, then you you picture what it would look like if this happened to you. But beyond the basic facts that we now know, there are details. Details many of you might want to know, and many of you do not want to know. I saw somebody put it pretty well. They said that some of the details don't need to be shared so not to f- humiliate the victim. Mm-hmm. And after what she's been through, you don't want to humiliate her. Mm-hmm. She's been through enough. Yeah. I know for a fact, and I've heard from people, that there are children in Barron that have not slept in their own bedroom since this happened. And that detail really, you know, affected me when I heard that. And so, uh, I think that getting some questions answered are important so that parents and families have a little bit of closure and, you know, they know. But at the same time, once you learn them, there's really nothing that the the classes could have done to prevent this. I mean, it's... It happened, if you're to believe what the criminal complaint says, it happened because of pure evil, and there's, there's really nothing they could have done. You've talked to her family. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing that they would like from the public, if anything? I think they want support and they want privacy. They want her to be able to move forward and become normal. 
it's like, you know, the word normal is, you know, she's, she's a normal kid, but she's been through something that's absolutely not normal. And so she has a way to go to get back there. So another thing, Kent, is that I remember being thankful that they left out a lot of details. For as many details as this complaint had, it did leave a lot out. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was almost, it was almost relief. Um, and you wanted to believe that that's all there was because you were just, you know, knowing that that might not have been the case, but at the same time, just the fact that this is such a unique experience where you have a young victim who everyone knows so well. In these cases, you generally don't know that, but because Jamie had been missing. Everybody knows her name. Everybody knows her face. Yeah. And so I was just... That is that is the dread that I was feeling throughout as we got page after page. What what is going to be revealed about what happened to her mm-hmm. after she was taken? And it was a relief not to have to see or read any of those kind of details. Really, uh, it was still disturbing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, her living in captivity like that and everything else. Uh, but yes, I think we were both very thankful. And like you said, the difference here is that she survived. And so she's going to live with everything that happened to her and also with what everybody else knows about it. And they did a, a good job of protecting her dignity while at the same time, making sure that the perpetrator is properly accused. Right. Right. And I don't know about you. I mean, we're always in our jobs seeking out the story and the truth and everything that happened, but there was a piece of me that, and to this day, that's her story and what happened to her and how she persevered through whatever she went through um, I think that is hers to tell. I completely agree. One other thing I wanted to mention was throughout the 88 days, Sheriff Fitzgerald kept going back to the, you know, look out for people you know, if there's changes in behavior, you know, think about that. That could be a clue. And when I reflected on all these details that we learned here, think about this guy who's all of a sudden living like a hermit in this cabin. So you know, maybe those signs were there where some, there's some sort of change in behavior. But then on the other hand, the complaint revealed that he did leave the house to go to Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he did a good enough job at making things to people he knows seem as normal as they could be. Yeah, that really struck me. Not only that, but having his own family come and visit, um, at least his father, um, that was chilling. And knowing that he, at, at least at some point, got so comfortable that he would leave for periods of time and have people even come to the house, um, feeling confident enough that she wouldn't scream or, or reach out for help in that way or try to get out. It really was brazen. This podcast is sponsored by the new Carol 11 app, now totally redesigned. To make it the newest, easiest, must-have app for Minnesota weather with interactive radar, video forecasts, and hyper-local accurate weather alerts. It is still coming in with a lot of lightning and thunder. We do have a few warnings out for a number of counties. From the hottest days to the most severe storms, stay on top of it all with the new Carol 11 app. Download or update today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. 
Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. While Kent and I are reporting from Barron, Danny Spiewak is back in Gordon, trying to learn more about Jake Patterson. Now that investigators have searched his cabin, they're trying to piece together Jake Patterson's background and his past. But so far, we've only been able to learn a few basic details about him. We know that he graduated in 2015 from Northwood High in Minong, a few miles south of his cabin in Gordon. I didn't know he lived here until Jamie said that. Kristen Kaczynskis was the neighbor who called 911 after Jamie escaped. She didn't know Patterson lived in her neighborhood, but recognized the name because she's a Northwood teacher. I had Jake as a student in middle school, um, like when he was 11, 12, 13. Um, Beyond that, I don't recall having Jake as a student, um, so I don't really know much beyond his middle school years. We know only basic details about Patterson's post-high school years. A military spokesperson says he lasted only five weeks in the Marines before being discharged in October 2015 for not meeting standards. Even in his own community north of Barron, few knew Patterson. Today, the police chief of nearby Minong said he really only knew of him in passing because it was a small town where everybody knew everybody. Mm. Yeah, and uh, you know, you mentioned you'd had some little contact with the suspect, Jake Patterson. What do you know about him? Um, very little. Um, he never came up on the radar as far as law, law enforcement's concerned. Um, um, like like I said, we I knew who he was, but I had never had any contact with him, you know, criminally or or even as a as a law enforcement officer. That must have been pretty shocking when that name came up. Yeah, I mean, we we knew the name right away. Um, and because uh, it is a small community, everybody knows knows each everybody, and uh, so yeah, we were we were we were upset, you know, um, and and concerned concerned for everybody that was involved in it. So, Minung Police Chief Eric Goldbranson tells Danny that after Jamie was found, he went over to Northwood School where Patterson graduated. We were talking to the kids and and just giving them a, a, to let them know they're safe. And that this was a, a day that we wanted to be happy that Jamie was found, um, but also that you know share, we were a little sad because this person, this suspect, came from our community. It 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 brought you know a sense of of insecurity too. That that you know could this horrible thing happen in our community? Yeah. And we know he later worked briefly at the Genio Turkey plant in Barron. We're also learning that he briefly worked at a Saputo cheese factory 12 miles away from Barron. And a Saputo spokesperson said Patterson worked at the factory on October 3rd and October 4th through a temp agency, but stopped showing up after that. Patterson told investigators he first spotted Jamie Kloss during his commute to the cheese factory on one of those days. Later that week, I get a tip that Patterson applied for a job the same day Jamie escaped. So I reach the owner of Saratoga Liquors in Superior, Wisconsin. He confirms it's true. Patterson applied online to work a night warehouse job at a liquor store that's 45 minutes away from his house. I think that's shocking, because it means Patterson was apparently so confident Jamie wouldn't try to escape that he planned to begin working eight hours a day with another 90 minutes commuting 
while Jamie stayed trapped underneath his bed. The liquor store owner opens up the application and gives me some details Patterson included on his resume. Patterson wrote, I'm an honest and hardworking guy, not much work experience, but I show up to work and I'm a quick learner. That statement, calling himself honest and a hardworking guy, doesn't add up. Because on his resume, Patterson lies. He writes that he was in Marine boot camp from April to December 2017, and we've already confirmed that he was kicked out of the Marines after five weeks. And Patterson writes that he worked at a Wisconsin concrete company through November 2018. But we already know he was unemployed at the time of the murders and kidnapping in October. In fact, after we post this update online, a manager at the concrete company calls us to say Patterson never worked there at all. He just filled out an application. When you find out someone is accused of committing an act of pure evil, you almost expect to find there were warning signs, like torturing animals, arson, or childhood abuse, the kinds of things you read about and hear about. But with Jake Patterson, we can't find any of those things. Patterson's peers tell us he was just a normal kid in high school. He didn't really care for class, and in fact, he's quoted in the yearbook saying, I'm finally done with school. His yearbook shows he was on the quiz bowl team, but he didn't play any sports and didn't appear to be active in any other activities. He graduated in a class of 34 and was voted as the most quiet boy in the class of 2015. Patterson grew up in the home where he kept Jamie. He has an older brother and sister. His parents divorced in 2007. Maybe it would be easier to wrap our minds around everything if everyone always suspected Jake Patterson was a monster. But we find none of that. And his ordinariness creates an unsettling feeling of its own. When I heard the news, I was extremely shocked to hear that Jake would do something like that because he just seems like your average teen. You know, growing up, there was nothing different than him than any other child in the neighborhood. On the next 88 days... They have not indicated uh, how Patterson will plead when the arraignment happens on March 27th. An upcoming plea amid fears the case will drag on. So what are the odds that he rolls in there and, and pleads guilty and it all comes to an end? In my opinion, zero. But then Patterson writes a letter. That letter arrived at CARE 11 for our Luber Goose this morning from the Polk County Jail and inmate Jake Patterson. And the letter's contents shake up the case. This is 88 Days, the Jamie Kloss Story, a CARE 11 original podcast in association with Vault Studios. Check out 88dayspodcast.com for more information on the Jamie Kloss case. 88 Days is written and produced by me, Lou Raguse, and Ellie Coder. Original music is by Dave Mailing and Emily Havick, and original artwork by David Malman. Thanks to Dan Crow and Atomic K Productions for audio help. Special thanks to CARE 11 management and staff for their contributions, the people of Barron, Wisconsin, and the Kloss family. Growing up here, dealing with everything that's going on now, I'm surprised this town's even standing. Bardstown, Kentucky is a small town in the heart of the Bluegrass State. But Bardstown, Kentucky also has secrets. Five unsolved murders over four years. Rumors and theories, and still no one is behind bars. I've been 100% free. Listen to what I'm saying. You listen to what I'm saying. Bardstown, a new podcast from Vault Studios. It's been you know, almost six years. There's still not a lot of answers. 